Greetings again, Renewal. Uh, having heard the word of the Lord, let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you uh, have called us to be in your midst this morning to speak to us through your word. We pray that you would open up our hearts and our ears by the work of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as a missionary that is preparing to be sent by all of you to the field, together with my family, it is my great pleasure and privilege to preach uh, during this missions conference. With the theme of our conference being missions to unreached peoples, people groups, today we're going to tackle a big question. And the question is, why? Why should we prioritize reaching the unreached? We have been, frankly, overwhelmed by global news in the past years. There are such pressing matters, both here at home and around the world, that many of us have gotten fatigued, and we've had to step back and reprioritize, try to figure out what we can do and what we can't do. So where does sending missionaries and sending missionaries to unreached people groups land on our list of priorities? Why is it a priority? Should it be a priority to reach the unreached? In Romans 15 today, uh, our passage, Romans 15, 8 to 24, will help us answer this question. This is a pretty classic missions text, and my hope today is that God will use it as he's used it many times before to clarify the call of the Christian church to unite around his mission to reach the nations. The big question, or the big answer to this question that we have before us today this will be a little long, so bear with me, is God has a mission to reach all the nations for his glory, and he is the one who makes it happen. Therefore, we, God's church, must prioritize reaching the unreached and use all the resources God gives us to do it. So we're going to break that down into four pieces. The four pieces of our answer is God has a mission to reach all the nations for the praise of his glory. That's the first thing. Second thing is God is the one who does his mission. Third thing is we must prioritize the unreached. And the fourth thing is we must use God's resources to do it. Before we see the details of these answers, it's important for us to have a little bit of an introduction to the book of Romans, this letter that Paul wrote to this church that we're looking at. And this church has pretty, is uh, pretty famous for uh, having rich theology. Many people look at it as a theological tome uh, that talks about many pieces that we need to know about. It talks about the fall. It talks about us being sinful. It talks about our need for the Savior. It talks about uh, how in Adam all of us fell, and Christ all of us are made alive. It talks about the relationship between Jewish people and Christians. It talks about so many things that that's what it's become known for. But today I want us to look at this letter from the perspective of what its intention and purpose was when Paul wrote it to this church. This was a church that Paul had never known. He did not plant this church. Most of his letters went to churches that he had planted. But this church he did not plan, and he is trying to introduce himself to this church. 
and he's trying to ask them, he's telling them about his missionary vision, and he's requesting support from them. And while he's doing that, like a good missionary, he's also a partner with the church, and so he is encouraging them in the Lord. So yes, it has theology, because Paul wants this missionary, this church, to know what this missionary believes. They want to, him, he, so he makes it clear, and that's the reason why it has most of these topics that we can think of. It also, he is wanting to encourage the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians to unite with one another, and so he talks a lot about that, and how the weaker brother and the stronger brother need to be united in the Lord. But in our passage today, he makes it very clear that his purpose in writing to them was by way of introduction to them so that he could see whether they would send him along his way on his missionary journey to an unreached people group. And that's what we'll see today. And so we'll begin with our first point, that God has a mission to reach all the nations for his glory, and God makes it happen. And we see this in verses 8 to 13. In our passage, this is the tail end of Paul's encouragement for this Roman church to have unity. In chapter 14, he talks about the weaker weaker brother, the stronger brother, and now he's getting to the point where he's talking about Jewish and Gentile Christians as needing to have appreciation for one another. Gentiles is not something we commonly use in our language. If you are Jewish and have a Jewish background, it's the goyim. It's the nations. It's all other people that are not Jewish people. That is what Gentiles means. It means all the nations that are not the nation of Israel. And what was happening in the church is that there was a division where the Jewish people thought that they were superior because they received the promises of God first. And the Gentile Christians were thinking they were superior because they didn't have to obey all of that and because their churches were blowing up. Like, they were getting, there were a lot of churches growing. And so they were thinking, wow, okay, maybe this is, we are the priority, really. And what Paul is ultimately saying is, you're both the priority. You are both needed for what God is doing on mission. And that's what he's talking about in verses 8 to 13. In verse 8, he shows that Christ came first to the Jews. He came first to the circumcised. That means the Jewish people. And in in doing so, he shows his faithfulness to the promise of God to Old Testament believers, the patriarchs, the fathers of the Jewish faith, that it would be through them and through their seed, which is ultimately Christ, that the nations would be blessed. So promise comes first to the Jews, but for what? To expand to the nations. But likewise, he flips it on his head and says that the fulfillment of the promises to the Jews, Jewish people, is that the Gentiles would be brought in. So you want God to be faithful to his promises to you? Who do you need? You need the Gentiles. You need all the nations. That's what he's saying in verses 8 and 9. And so what is the point? What does this teach us today? The point is we need each other. God's global church needs all of the churches, (laughs) needs all, needs the churches from all the nations. We are not complete alone. We all need each other. And this is what Paul is saying. And so he's wanting to unify the church around this idea that God's mission is through the Jews to all the nations, and we need to unite around this mission. 
to develop and to solidify this point, um, Paul talks about these Gentiles, these non-Jewish Christians, six times in six verses. You can look at it there. Gentiles, 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 Gentiles. And he does this to show that Paul is not inventing this missionary mandate that he is talking about to all the nations. But he's getting backup. And the backup that he's getting is coming from the Old Testament Bible. It's coming from the Bible that the Jewish people use, that he is using, that the Gentiles are using. It's coming from the law. It's coming from the prophets. It's coming from the Psalms. He quotes all of those sections in order to say that this is God's mission from beginning to end in the Bible. And what is the purpose? The purpose is that he wants these Roman Christians to understand that God's, that missions is not just a hobby of missionaries. It's not just a hobby of me, my wife Carmen, uh, other people who you know that are passionate about missions. That's not where missions originates. It doesn't originate with us. Who does it originate with? God and his word. The Bible is a missionary book. That is important for us to remember. God comes to us and speaks. God is a missionary. God is on mission. So there's a, prog- a progression to the quotes that Paul uses here. He, it has both a progression and a central point. And here I want to compare it to a sandwich. In culinary, in culinary arts, a sandwich right, has the two pieces of bread, but you don't have everything exactly the same. You don't have the meat surrounded by lettuce on both sides, surrounded by tomatoes on both sides, surrounded by sauce on both sides, right? That's kind of weird. Instead, you have, the, you have the, the two pieces of bread, you have the meat, and you got something different going on on either side. There's a progression to the taste as you bite through it. That's what makes a good sandwich. And this is a, these quotes are coming in the style of a sandwich. On either side, you have, the, you have similar points. And in the middle, you have the central point, the pivot point, which is the meat, which is what we sh- the takeaway that we should have. So let's look at that. In verse, this is how it works. The outer side in verse 9, the first, the bread, uh, is that, that God had used King David, and looking forward to his son, Jesus, to subdue the nations. Kind of strange, right? That's not normally how we think about missions. But God is subduing the nations. What does that mean? It means that God is having victory over them, that God is king, they're in rebellion, and they must bow the knee to God. You see that in verse 9. And so God subdues the nations, and then very soon after that, in verse 10, you see that the nations are then invited into worship. And that's strange, right? So, like, these are enemy rebels against God the king, against his Messiah, David, pointing forward to Jesus. And what does God do? He subdues them and calls them into worship. How? How is that possible? How can once enemies and rebels of God become worshipers of God? It is because Jesus, on the cross, paid the penalty of their rebellion, paving the way for them to come into worship. So the progression from verses 9 to 10 is between enemies bowing the knee in subjection to God the King, to then God pardoning them and inviting them into his family 
of worship, to worship alongside his people, Israel, the Jews. That's what's happening. Then, verse 11. Verse 11 doesn't even talk about the Jews anymore. Verse 11 says, You Gentiles, come and praise the Lord. All you nations, come and praise the Lord. Direct access, in other words, to God. And then in verse 12, we return to that theme. Remember, the, the same on either side. You got the bread on both sides. We return to the theme of the Messiah King, the branch that comes from Jesse, Jesus. And what is happening is that in Jesus, the Gentiles will hope. Are you, are you catching the progression? Do you pick up, are you picking up the flavors? There's this progression from sub, subjugation to salvation to hopeful and grateful worship. Newsflash is that we are all these rebels. We are all the rebels. In Romans 3, it even says that the Jewish people were the rebels against God and that we all needed to have our hearts subdued to God. He needed to capture our hearts. And then he paves the way for us to have union with him, reconciled to him through who? Through Jesus, who pays the penalty for us so that we can have free access to God in worship and in hope. That is the progression. And the center, notice, the meat, what was it? Praise. What was it? Worship. And this teaches us something super important about missions. That missions exist for the worship of God. It is not primarily about our salvation. Salvation of people is important, but that cannot be your primary motivation for missions. Primary motivation is what? The glory of God through his worshiping people. That is the center. That is the meat. And this gives us at least three points of application. First, we remember that missions is God's idea. This is his word. It is not Paul's invention. It is not my invention. It is God's idea. Second, it teaches us that God has a mission to all nations, to the Jew first, but to all peoples, not to some peoples, not to one nation, but all nations, all nations. That's the mission. And third, God's mission has its goal, not primarily, is not primarily the salvation of people, but salvation of people is a means to this end, that there would be a worshiping people for God from every tribe, tongue, and nation, from all of those unreached people groups that are yet to be unreached. And they would be gathered around Jesus, the Lamb, to praise him forever, as we heard about in Romans, uh, Revelation 7 on Friday night. So that's our first point. Our first piece of our answer is that God has a mission to reach all of the nations. That's God's mission. The second point from verses 14 or 13 to 19 is that God makes his mission happen. God makes it happen. Don't be, it seems big, but God is going to do it. And we see this when in verse 13, Paul pronounces a blessing over the church. After this barrage of Old Testament quotes, Paul then blesses the church. And what is he trying to say? He's saying that the church needs a blessing at this point. 
The church needs encouragement. The church needs incentive. The church needs to know that God is in it, that God will carry them through. And then Paul acknowledges that God has already been at work in the Roman church. Even though Paul sent this letter with some strong points of encouragements and rebukes, Paul does not pretend that he is the main instrument in God's mission. But instead, he's humbly seeking to partner with this mission with this Roman church. And then he's including, because he's a partner, he's including reminders and encouragements. And as an aside, this is my hope also as a missionary for you today, that dear renewal, that you, by the grace of God, are, I'm encouraged that you are developing a robust and biblical model for missions mobilization. That's evident. This is growing in our midst this love and vision, and then you also have this love and vision to reach the city, to reach Philadelphia for Christ. This is commendable. So please take all that's being said today as by way of reminder and by way of encouragement to you to continue in the work that God has already begun in this church to be further equipped for mission. But then Paul starts to talk about his own ministry. He starts to talk about uh, the great and wonderful things that God has accomplished through him in his mission. And then you start to think, well, isn't that a pivot, right? So like God is on mission, but then Paul is talking about his mission. But I want you to notice something, that in the midst of everything he talks about his own, when he talks about his own mission, he has this barrage of the fact that it is actually not him that does it, but it is God who is doing it through him, in him and through him. Notice this, that he says, by the grace of God, by the work of the Holy Spirit, it is in Christ and what Christ has accomplished through me, not what I've done. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So all the while Paul is talking about his mission, he's saying it's actually not him that does it. It's God who does it. And this is not false humility. Paul knew that he was weak. He knew that he was facing weakness at every point of his ministry. He experienced some of the worst situations ever. And we need this encouragement, don't we? Especially for us who were here uh, yesterday <laughs> and on Friday, we, we were taught, rightfully so, that missions is hard. There's no way around it. Missions is impossible, frankly. There is no way around it. We are not superhumans. It is challenging. There is attack at every point, spiritual and otherwise. And what do we need? We need God to be in the mission in order to step out at all. Because if not, we would cower and hide. We would recoil and run. Just some of the things that were highlighted yesterday. We have language learning difficulties, spiritual warfare. You feel like a fish out of water with all the new cultural practices. Where do you eat? Where do you go grocery shopping? Where can you get access to medicine? You have loneliness, immense loneliness, as you are completely incompetent in the language of the people that surround you. It's insane what is happening. It's traumatic what's happening when missionaries go overseas. The pressure is immense and the dangers are real. So how in the world can we persist? How in the world can we continue in that mission? How in the world can we step out and do it 
as a supporting church and also as missionaries? The answer is that we are first the objects of God's mission before we are the means that he uses on mission. God gives us grace. He reaches us first. The dynamic of that, of us being objects of God's mission and then the means is described in verses 15 to 16. Paul's mission is to be a worshiping agent of God, saved by God and for God's glory, who then is reaching people for Christ so that they would also worship. And this closely ties then Paul's mission to God's mission. We see this where Paul says that he is in priestly service. It's kind of strange. Paul is not literally a priest. So what is he saying? In the Old Testament, the priest was a worshiper. The priest was the one who would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people so that they could approach God. He was the one who would lead them in the reading of the law. He was the one who would lead them in prayers and song, and he would teach them the word of God. What is he saying? I am a worshiper. God has separated me for worship. And what is his worship? What is his worship? Look at it. What is his worship? To offer the Gentiles to God, that they would be a pleasing aroma to God. What is his worship? To bring more worshipers. There is no conflict between missions and worship. There's no conflict between worship of God and his, in the church and the church being actively on mission. In fact, they're wed together in Paul's understanding that it is as we gather people to be worshipers of God that God will be worshiped. Missions is an act of worship. So you see that Paul was first the recipient of this. He was made a worshiper, and now he is calling the Gentiles to God to offer them up in thanksgiving to God, which is his worship. Missions is worship. And Paul talks about this not to talk about himself, but to be an encouragement to the Roman church and to us, to be an encouragement to them and to renewal. Our work is the same, to reach all peoples for Christ, that they might be worshipers of God. It is God who does this. He reaches us by his grace, but he also graciously uses us in his mission. We are not the primary agents of God's mission. It is God. But that truth should be encouraging to us because if we look at missions, it is impossible But if God is in it, all things are possible. That's what we need to take away. So if you feel like from Friday and from yesterday, missions would be impossible for you, you're right. For you, it is. But for God, it is not. In verses 9 through, and then in verses 8 through 19, we've seen the first two parts of our answer. Why should we prioritize reaching the unreached? The answer, God has a mission to reach all the nations for the praise of his glory, and he does it. He makes it happen. Those are the first two pieces. Now we'll look at the second half, which is, therefore, God's church should make it our ambition to reach the unreached and use the resources that God gives us to accomplish this mission. We see this in verses 20 to 21, where it says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. 
This thus that he says in verse 20 is key. Paul is saying with this thus that everything that he said before is the reason why he does what he does. It is because God has a mission to all nations. It is because God has fulfilled his mission in and through Paul thus far that Paul now looks forward to what God can do next. He looks beyond and he says he makes it his ambition to preach Christ where he has not been named, thus he built on someone else's foundation. It is with these words that then we come to a deeper understanding of who unreached people groups are. Maybe that's a question you've had. The missions conference is about unreached people groups. How, what is that, who are they? What does it mean? Paul has an answer. And then we also see the reason why we should not only reach them, but prioritize reaching them. So first, who are unreached people groups according to Paul? You see this when he says that they are those who have not heard about Jesus. They've never been told about Christ. They are people who have never called Christ their own. They've never called on his name. That's a word that means they own him. They, they say, Christ is mine. I want him. I need him. And then he says that it's where there is no foundation. And this is kind of code language to say where there is no church. Where there is no church. Paul's goal was to lay foundations throughout the world of Christian witness that then once he established that mission, he would move on to what was next. So he doesn't want to go back where there was already, the territory has been covered. He seeks to go beyond where there is no outpost for the gospel established. So this is unreached people groups. They're people without a significant Christian witness, without Christians, and without churches. So this includes Japan in large part. It includes the peoples that Carmen and I were mentioning in our sharing. It includes other places that Renewal's missionaries are going. This is who unreached people groups are. They're people without Christ, without the message of Christ, without a worshiping and witnessing community. So we th you might think they sound, that sounds important. That does sound important. But why prioritize that? Why put it as though it's a priority? Isn't there stuff to do here? Aren't there lost people here? There are people who don't know Jesus here, right? Isn't that right? Well, one missionary um, has sought a way to answer this question, which I think is useful for us. It's a bit of an extended illustration, but I'm going to read it in full because I think the illustration is just very helpful for people to have an image in their minds. And this is what he says. Imagine a huge and ancient graveyard full of wooded hills which are covered with thousands of tombstones. But the graveyard is not completely still and silent. Here and there, individuals and small groups make their way from one grave to another, pausing to push one or several seeds into the grassy earth. They might move on quickly, or they might linger on a certain grave for some time. And usually nothing happens right away. But sometimes there's a sudden flash of light and the dead one emerges completely alive and made new. This newly living one, after a period of understandable disorientation and celebration, then joins the others in their methodical and mysterious work of seed pushing. 
It's not predictable when and where the seeds that are planted will bloom in an explosion of light and dirt and life. Sometimes there are weeks and months with nothing. Other times, multiple dead ones suddenly come to life simultaneously. The only trend that the planters have been able to gather is that the more graves that receive the planted seeds, the more resurrections tend to take place. The planters go about their work steadily. They are greatly outnumbered by the number of graves, somewhere in the ratio of 10,000 to 1. One day, one of the planters climbs a cemetery ridge to conduct his work. And from the top of that ridge, he can for the first time make out the existence of another graveyard, just within eyesight. It's even bigger than the one he and his friends have been working in. Yet he strain as he might, he is unable to see any movement within that graveyard. There are no planters to be seen anywhere. The reality dawns on him that there are none to walk that graveyard. There are none to sow the seeds that can raise the dead. The graves there will never stir, nor give up their bones. Gradually, he comes under conviction that he must go and be the first planter to walk that graveyard, though the ratio be as horrible as one to 10 million. That's not right. It is not right that all the planters, small in number though they are, be concentrated in just one graveyard when there are other cemeteries with just as much potential for resurrection and there's no one to sow the seeds. Everywhere that seeds have been planted, sooner or later, the dirt gives up its dead, who in turn become faithful living workers everywhere. God has people from all nations. And so he goes. It's not a matter of the absence of the need in the first graveyard. There is need in the US. It's the presence of a disproportionate need in a faraway graveyard with no planters. We need to prioritize sending to the graveyards with no one in them. Listen to the stat that was used in the illustration. There's a ratio of one to 10,000 Christians in the world. Here in the US, there's, for a Christian worker, there, there's one Christian worker for every 270 people. That's a lot. It's, we need more, but that's a lot. In the rest of the world combined, it is one in every 450,000 people. In Europe, in Eastern Europe, it is one in every 950,000 people. In the Muslim world, it is one in 1.7 million. One worker for 1.7 million people. But worse yet, there are places where there's not a single one. And that's why we prioritize reaching the unreached. Is there work to be done in Philadelphia? Yes. Yes, there is. And praise God that there is a foundation here. There are churches here. There is renewal here in other faithful churches that are doing that work, that are seed pushers. Is there work in the U.S.? Definitely. But please hear this call for you, renewal. It is the reason, as a worshiping witness to Christ, you must continue the work here in Philly, but you must 
It is your responsibility as a place where there are already foundations of the gospel to send to those graveyards where not a soul is hearing about living, knowing, or worshiping Christ. There's a foundation here in the U.S. and Philly which makes it imperative for us to prioritize sending missionaries to places where there's an utter absence of the gospel. And this is why we as Renewal Church, as Paul argues for the Roman church, notice he's telling them, this is why I want you to send me. We have a moral imperative to prioritize sending missionaries to God's global work among unreached peoples. Church, this is our and God's mission to gather worshipers from the nations. This is our priority, not to build on another's foundation, not to focus where there are already Christian churches, but to go where Christ is not worshiped and where people have not heard of him. Remember that God does the work. And our last point then shows us how God, a little bit about how God does it. This is the final part of the answer. We must, our last point, we must, empowered by his grace and the Holy Spirit, use the means that God has given us to send our missionaries. So remembering that Paul is writing as a missionary, this is a missionary letter to the Roman church. Paul is hoping that the Roman church would be his sending church for his missionary work to unreached peoples in Spain, which is not like Spain today. No Christians there at the time. There's not a single witness to Christ or a worshiping community. So what does Paul outline for the call of ascending church? What can we learn, renewal, as a, as a sending church? There's much overlap with what we learned about yesterday in yesterday's seminar, seminar on missionary care. In verse 24, Paul says this, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a little while. First, by way of explanation, Paul says the word helped on my journey. And if you're like me, you hear the word help, and what do you think? Ah, like I'll give him some gas money. <laughs> like, you know, I'll give him, I'll give him something to kind of, yeah, get him going. I'll help him on his way. Sure. But that word is actually quite packed. The word helped on my journey contains in it the idea of sending someone before you. To send them forward and then also the idea of to bring them on their way, to accompany them or escort them. To send them forward fit with all the requisites for the journey, all the supplies that they need for the journey. This is the idea behind the word. Do you hear it, Do you hear it now? Help on my way now should in your mind say, wow, they're going to get them fully ready to go. They're going to even maybe send an escort with them to make sure that they safely arrive there. They are going to send people with them that maybe would be long-term workers with them. All of that should be contained in what we, what we think. So we see at least five things that Paul says that ascending church should do. The first is, there should be a refreshment and encouragement in the gospel. Paul says that he wants to enjoy their company and be refreshed in the gospel. The practical application is for you, renewal, is that when missionaries are here, be a refreshment for them. Be an encouragement to them. Be on their support groups. Host them in your house. Have them over for dinner. Not like we heard yesterday, not to share, but to be with you, to be encouraged in the gospel. 
The Roman church would be a home base for Paul and a strategic place of strategic retreat and refreshment. And renewal should be this for the missionaries that she sends. It also includes financial and material support. It does mean giving to missionaries' needs. It does mean giving them money. It means giving them what they materially need to get the job done. You don't just send your missionaries out and say, good luck. You know, you send them out equipped, prepared, cared for. It also implies, can imply other missionaries. Number three, can imply other missionaries. Notice that it can involve escorts, people being, going and accompanying them on their way. Especially back then, it was extremely dangerous to travel. So it was necessary for someone to go with you. That was necessary. So this could look like, by way of application for us, short-term teams that go and help in practical ways our missionaries overseas. The primary goal is to what? To bolster the ministry of our church through that missionary there. And so we go and help. It could also definitely means in many cases for Paul, he envisions people accompanying him. Paul did not like to do missions alone, right? So you send a missionary family out, then you send people there to go and work with them, other long-term missionaries. So renewal, who among you can join us? Who among you can join the other families that are reaching unreached peoples? That is the question that we should ask. That's the question you should ask yourself. It also involves global church partnerships. Uh, I found this really interesting. In verses 25 through 29, Paul talks about his need to pass through Jerusalem. And, his, and, and then he has this reflection that says that the Gentiles have a debt to the Jerusalem church and that they are going to send a contribution to them to support the Jerusalem church. And then he'll be sent to Rome, to Spain via that, which is extremely out of Paul's way. It's like this. But the idea is that Paul is saying we are all connected. That same point he began with, right? God's global church is connected. So, by the way, Rome, I want you to know what I'm up to in Jerusalem. And by the way, all of you all in the Gentile churches, you all need to bolster the other side of the church. Like, we need these global partnerships to be working really well. <laughs> that's what Paul is saying. Pray for that. Pray for that. And that's the last point, prayers. Paul highlights prayer, where he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come with you to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. What Paul is saying is that that gospel work of grace in his life, which will carry him through, his ability to continue that mission. Remember that God does his mission, but one means that God chooses to use his prayer. Notice he's saying, if I am going to go through all of that suffering, right, that is part of the missionary experience, it's going to be because of your prayers that I will be able to get through that. We need you to pray. God has chosen to use these means. God does the mission, but God has chosen to use these means to accomplish his mission. What are those means? Refreshment and encouragement for missionaries. Sending them all along their way with financial support. Sending other people along with them. God's global church in partnership and your prayers. So now when somebody asks you, why should we, 
the church, renewal, prioritize reaching the unreached, I hope you have an answer. I hope that you can say that it is God's mission to reach all the nations. He does this work in and through us, empowered by his spirit, and therefore the church's priority is preaching to the unreached, establishing worshiping churches where Christ's name has not yet been named, where the graveyard is empty. And God graciously gives us the means to engage in this mission by sending and by going. May we send and go for the praise and worship of his glorious name. Let's pray. Our dear, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God on mission, that you sent your Son to us to rescue us, to subdue us in our hearts to him, but not only to subject us as prisoners, but to uh, make a way for us to be reconciled to you, to be saved for the glory of your name, to be worshipers who have hope. And we pray, Lord, that we would join in your mission, that you would empower us for it, that you would help us to prioritize those who are unreached, and that you would give us all the means necessary to accomplish this mission, as you've promised that you, have, that you will do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.